Tom Fortino joins us now as the good advice keeps rolling. The founder and principal at Alpha Wealth Group. Visit alphawealthgroup.com. Listen for Tom and Elise Glink Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. for an hour on WGN Radio. Good day, Tom. Hello, John. How are you doing today? Pretty good. As goes Tom, so goes the markets. Does your mood kind of <laughs> vacillate with the news of the day, or maybe you're insulated from that? You've been in this business too long, right? <clears throat> Well, you know, emotions can be your worst enemy, right? And so it's easy to say, hey, we got to try to keep emotions out of this. But it's just kind of impossible. But I think there's ways to kind of minimize that because, as I said, that's why we see kind of the average investor. I mean, with what's going on today uh, in the world, boy, it's tough. You got to try to try to minimize or suppress your emotions, I guess, for lack of a better word. Well, I know some of us just say, I'm not going to look. I don't know how you feel about that, but... I think there's something to not, if, if you're not going to stress or obsess about what's happened to your retirement funds, maybe you shouldn't just monitor them every day. What do you make of that? I agree with that because, you know, if you're monitoring them, number one, it increases the stress level. Um, number two, you may, again, your emotions are taking the, uh, uh, maybe getting the better of you, so you're making moves. It's kind of like, you know, when you're at the grocery store, and you get in line, and then you move to the another line, and then you move to the next line, and somehow you never, <laughs> you, you find like you're always behind, right? So, yeah. and we don't want to do that. So you want to be want to be somewhat calm. And I and I and I said this before, John. You know, it's it's knowing what you own, knowing why you own it, and just having a plan that you can kind of stick to. It doesn't mean you can't make changes here and every now and then. And then we also have to delineate between: Hey, are you still contributing to your plan? You know, are you 10 years out from retirement? Are you two years out from retirement? Those are things that are going to factor into, you know, what are you currently doing in this type of market? Because it's tough. Well, should I have so much cash on hand? Um, is there a formula like you should always have three months' rent or you should always have a percent of your portfolio? Or I don't know. Do you have any advice for how much, like literally money I should have in a savings account? Well, if you're going to differentiate between what do you want to have for emergency funds, right, versus what do I want to have in the market, and then what do I separate to say I want to always ha- I want to have cash on hand to buy these opportunities, right? If I see that's so to differentiate between those two, well, yeah, we always have to have some liquidity um, for those times where we need to draw on or we we have an emergency. That's a little different than saying I want to keep cash in the market. The good news is, as we know, and this has been talked about, we actually are now getting interest um, on on the, the cash position. So we're not we're not being penalized like we were in the past. You know, you talked about not letting your emotions be your guide, but I find myself sometimes getting angry at the way people like me are reporting news about the economy. For instance, mm-hmm. there's a story that I was reading at CNBC, and it talked about inflation and that the inflation rate, uh, rate is still, let me see if I can find it here, um, it's still well below the 2% target that the Fed has in mind. If it's around 6%, boy, we got a long way to go. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. well, it's not going to go from 6% to 2% in a day. So if it goes to 5.8% or whatever the numbers are, I'm more interested in the direction or the the rate than the number. And so when they say, hey, we've still got a long way to go, well, duh. But we are where we are. So don't mm-hmm. exacerbate things by describing the distance. Rather, contextualize it by telling me, 
are we going in the right direction? Am I making any sense here, Tom? You're making perfect sense. You're talking about a trend versus one reading. And so the trend is going down. That's just a fact. Now, to get to, and in addition to that, we have to look at what's the lag time, right? If, if, if the Fed is raising rates, if things are happening, you know, there's lagging indicators, there's leading indicators. But the fact is, you know, if they're raising interest rates, you can use the housing market, for example. It's 12 straight months. They just came out the other day. 12 straight months of uh, this is for previous owned home sales have been down for 12 straight months. Now, the median home prices come down, too. So we're saying, is that going to continue? What's the lag effect? And so we have to be a little more patient, to your point, and I agree, um, that what's the trend and where are we going with this? So um, let's see. You know, CPI is coming out, I think, March. Is it March 20? Well, in in a few weeks. We're going to see what's going to happen with CPI. This next month, going into next month, is there's going to be significant numbers that are coming out that we're going to see from the jobs report, which is next yeah. Friday, and then the CPI, and that's going to dictate a lot of things with what the Fed's going to do. Yeah, when's the next uh, when's the next Fed adjustment if they're going to? March twenty second. Uh, by the way, Tom, two point nine nine percent APR. <laughs> um, that's a good number. I don't mm-hmm. think we were advertising those kind of rates two years ago in the throes of the pandemic. No, it's it's uh, we've been so um, I guess conditioned with these rates over all of these years. Um, like I said, we're kind of going back to normal, and so I think these are all good things. There's always that um, discomfort with making the adjustments in the economy. Hopefully, this is going to um, you know continue as far as rates going forward, and uh, it just makes sense. I mean, this economy. You look back historically. Rates have always been much higher than they were over the last years, and I think that contributed to this, you know, this asset bubble, these um, these low rates for all these years. What's an asset bubble, Tom? Well, I mean, housing, of course. Um, you know, when you have free money um, or anything you purchase, um, and there's no interest on that, um, you know, it's going to increase the, you know, it's going to increase not only the the ability for people to purchase things, the money is technically free. Uh, and it did. And also when you look at, and this is why a lot of the tech stocks came down the way the valuations occur on those stocks, there was an asset bubble there because, you know, interest rates are used to determine that as well. So that's what created a lot of this. Again, you just can't have free money. You know, anybody can access money. We saw what happened in 2008, of course, with the housing market when they were giving out loans. And so that's why you have to be very careful. And so we're kind of reaping what we... Yeah, so, so. well, people were encouraged to buy homes and were given money to buy homes maybe beyond their ability to maintain or even -hmm. even fund them. They just... I I don't know that we will ever go back to 105% loans on the value of the home, the lender banking on the appreciation of the asset. But boy, in retrospect, that sure seemed like a bad idea, didn't it? It was a very bad idea. And it's the same, as I said, with, you know, the last time I purchased a car, I remember the person when I went to purchase it and the finance said, you know, just take a loan. It's free money. This is what he said to me. And I was like, you know, kind of when the light bulb went off. It's like, and this is what was happening, unfortunately, all too often. And so, again, these are good things, I think, in the long run, where we start to get to a more normal level 
of 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 where it takes to for capital and the cost for capital and so on. Tom Fortino is the founder and principal at Alpha Wealth Group, alphawealthgroup.com. Sunday mornings, this week in Wealth Least Link, that's Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. Um, just give me a little advice on minimizing my tax pain. Uh, tax day is around the corner now. Just what general strategies should people be tending to? Well, I mean, there's not much we can do between now and it is April 18th because it falls on a weekend. Uh, for your tax filing, you can technically contribute to an IRA, um, a traditional IRA. It is a tax-deductible contribution for certain people. So there's things you can do to try to reduce the tax bill before then. Not many options. I, I'm more of a forward tax planning guy. I would say try to get more money into tax-free. You know we've had this conversation, John. You can also do a Roth IRA prior to April 15th. In fact, we are in a window here, which is unique because you have until, I'm sorry, April 15th for last year. Roth. Plus, you can do this year's Roth. And so that's up to 7500 if you're over age 50. Getting money into money into those accounts that will grow tax-free today, tax-free for the rest of your life. And certainly when you get to the point where you're going to take money out and every penny is, is tax-free, regardless of the tax rate, that's a good thing. So I would encourage anyone who did not make Roth IRA contributions for 2022, try to get that um, done before April 18th. You were talking to Wendy and I last time you were in the studio about Social Security. Are, uh, will my Social Security check be taxed? Well, the short answer is it depends. More than likely, um, up to 85% of your benefit can be taxed. And I guess I use the example, if you had 30000 of of benefit, up to 25000 of it, in that example, can be taxable to your, whatever your tax rate is. So we have to be conscious of that. Um, It's all based on what's, again, too much to get into, but it's called provisional income. And so there's a calculation that you you would look at um, and determine how much of your Social Security is taxable. For those that are doing your taxes, take a look in your tax return. If you're getting Social Security, you will see a Social Security benefit you will see a taxable amount of that benefit. So at least you'll be aware of what's happening mm. if you take a look at your 1040. I think a lot of us who aren't yet retired think about it and go, well, I'm going to get uh, pick a number, $30,000 a year in Social Security, uh, but maybe not. Maybe some of that is going to be taxed, correct? Yeah. If you're turning around and giving 7000 back to the government, your Social Security benefit is not 30000 it's 23000 This is why tax planning is part of what we do and hopefully others are doing as an investment advisor rep. You know, you're doing some tax planning in a position. The Roth, by the way, as an aside, and you can do Roth 401ks, by the way, in addition to Roth IRAs, which 401k contributions are up to $30,000 if you're over age 50, 22, under 50. Um, the Roths are not only not taxable, they are not used in the calculation for taxable Social Security. Ah, So there you go. Okay. Tom Fortino yep. from the Alpha Wealth Group. AlphaWealthGroup.com. Hey, Tom, we'll listen for you Sunday morning. Thanks for your thoughts Great. today. Thanks a lot, John. The Wintrust Business Lunch. Every now and then I get a note from a friend of mine who complains about the mail delivery, but his the icing on the cake, what's the opposite of the icing on the cake? That which makes it even worse is not only does he not get his mail, but people are stealing checks out of his mail. And you hear about this more and more. We have seen in the last couple of years an 86% increase in check fraud 
using a variety of means. 24,000 consumers in Illinois alone have fallen victim, and it's going the other direction. It's getting worse. So let's talk a little bit about that here on the Wintrust Business Lunch with Randy Hultgren, who is the president and CEO of the Illinois Bankers Association. I guess you know all about those numbers, huh, Randy? Uh, unfortunately, I do, John. So good to be with you. Thank you for your great show and uh, the service you provide to the great people around Chicago. But uh, yeah, this is a tough issue. And, and I love working with bankers who love helping people pursue their dreams. But every once in a while, some nightmare situations come up. And this is one of them where we've just seen a dramatic increase. It's an old crime, like 40 or 50 year old crime that has just gotten new energy for some reason of uh, people stealing checks and altering checks uh, and it's uh, really troubling, uh, expensive, hard on a lot of families, uh, hard-earned money being lost to criminals. And so we uh, at the Bankers Association, working with our bankers, just want to encourage people to be aware that uh, this is going on. There are some steps they can take to protect themselves. Yeah, we'll talk about those here. You said expensive. How much are we talking about? What's the average? Do you calculate it per check loss or something? Well, yeah, I mean, some are, some are huge. Um, on average, it's about $2,400, which is a lot of money. Uh, just was talking to somebody this morning. It was, uh, had written a $38 check uh, to an insurance company, and it ended up getting changed to $1,300, uh, $1,000, uh, you know, uh, more than $1,000 more. And over and over again, things are happening. So we're seeing a thing called check washing, uh, which is not new. But I kind of think with some of the new conveniences that I'm so grateful for, I love the ability to deposit checks mobily, just use my phone to be able to deposit a check. But I also think it has sparked some interest in criminals of thinking, hey, maybe this is a way for me to steal a check and then find other ways to try and deposit it, get that money and and get away before uh, someone finds out that uh, this all was a fraudulent activity. So check washing is real. Uh, it's about $2,400 on average that uh, the loss that a, a family or small business has. Uh, and so it's, it's serious. We're also hearing, I'm sure you've talked about it, John, that um, we're hearing about postal workers who are getting held up, not for money, but for their keys. People are stealing their keys so they can get access to a bunch of post office boxes. Uh, again, just unbelievable stuff uh, and frustrating and sad, but uh, something we need to be aware of. I must say, it seems weird that this is increasing at a time when the world's becoming more digital. It would seem to me like the fishing wouldn't be so good. I wonder why it is going up when, in fact, people don't write paper checks as much as they used to. They don't, although I will say, and this is something, again, that kind of harkens back to uh, your um, announcement advertising that you had just uh, kind of before the news. Uh, Unfortunately, the people who... Uh, write checks the most, still our older folks, Uh, our parents, our aunts and uncles, neighbors, um, who maybe don't feel as comfortable doing some of the digital stuff, and so they still write checks. And I think that's part of the thing, too, that, uh, again, I hate it, that criminals are going after people who might be a little bit more vulnerable to this. And so I think it is so important for all of us to be aware of this, but also those that we care about and love who might be a little bit older, might write a few more checks, checks, might not be as comfortable of using some of the digital means to pay for bills, to help them, uh, to keep an eye out for them, and for all of us, just to be on alert that this is real, 
like you said, 86% increase. That was just in one year, from 2021 to 2022, an 86% increase. In 10 years, it's about 350% increase. So this is real. It's frustrating. But uh, there's there's things people can do. Another scam, we're seeing you know checks being stolen and washed and amounts being changed and payees being changed. But we're also seeing, tied in with technology, uh, a lot of peer-to-peer uh, marketplaces, you know, whether it's like Facebook marketplace or other things where people can buy and sell stuff with other folks that they don't know. Uh, but we're seeing scams there as well. Usually with the higher priced item, if I'm selling a car uh, for $3,000, someone might say, I'll take it. I'll come over and give you a check for three grand. They show up and say, oops, you know, I accidentally wrote it for 5,000. Go ahead and deposit it and just wire the money back to me. Uh, you know, the difference of two grand. We're hearing of people, not only are they, is the car gone, but now they're out that, all of that money. Um, and so if there's a peer-to-peer thing uh, and someone wants to write you a check over an amount and have you give that money back, don't do it. If it sounds weird, don't do it. It's strange. And again, if you have any questions, any challenges, call your banker. They'd love to help. Uh, they're there for you. They, they want to solve this as quickly as possible, make customers whole as quickly as possible, but also uh, let law enforcement know. We're working with the attorney general's office. Um, the attorney general and I went to law school together, a good friend of mine, uh, but we um, are working with them of just making sure law enforcement uh, is in place along with postal service and others just to try and protect yeah. people. Uh, that's our goal. Randy, by the way, we just got this text message from a listener. We lost over $17,000 to check fraud. Police reports and our bank helped recover it. Um, I know we need to get to what I I can do to prevent this portion of our conversation, but do banks cover some of this? If it's an insured bank, then does the FDIC or FSLIC handle that? Well, it's, it's more the bank uh, internally. So FDIC really? is usually for that larger amount uh, that, you know, so they do have insurance coverage and things. Uh, obviously, again, they don't want to do this. <laughs> they want people to be safe. It's it's inconvenient. It's expensive for everyone. Uh, so we, bankers want to see it stop along with uh, people who are being hurt by this. Uh, but, you know, the big news, I would say, is banks want to help. Uh, they're there. They love helping people make their dreams come true. It's what banking is all about. Well, but what, every once in a while, bad things happen. So on your list of things to think about, if you're writing a check, use long-lasting black ink that is more difficult to alter, like a, a felt-tip pen kind of ink, that yeah, sort like, of thing? like like a Sharpie, also yeah. gel ink. You know, some of these pens are gel ink. Those are really hard to get off. You know, a, a permanent pen, uh, you can do a fine point permanent pen that is very difficult to change. Make sure you're getting checks from a reputable source, that you're not just, you know, picking them up, uh, some kind of fly-by-night uh, thing on the Internet. Make sure they're real, uh, a real company providing those checks uh, because there's safeguards even within the checks uh, mm. just to make sure that they're protected. Um, don't leave things in your mailbox. Uh, if you have to mail a check, use this permanent ink, use a good check, but drop it off at the post office and then watch your account. It's really important for all of us just to pay attention. It's never been easier for us just to see where our accounts are at. And if anything looks funny right away, the quicker we can respond, like your listener responded, the quicker you can respond, the more likely the bank is going to be able to catch this uh, criminal and I, uh, let law enforcement know so that others aren't hurt as well. Among the other suggestions, retrieve your mail as soon as possible. You covered that. Yep. Avoid abbreviations. It's either 
a, a longer word. It's harder for them to fake it. It's more labor. Don't accept a check for more than your selling price. You cover that. They may say, all right, yep. let's just do a switcheroo and cover the difference, and now you're out money. So these are yep. all real helpful tips from Randy Hultgren, the president and CEO of the Illinois Bankers Association. If you think, oh, that's somebody else, it's on the rise, gang. And that's, that's good yeah. to hear, Randy. Thanks for the heads up on that. Thanks, John. Thanks again for your great show. Appreciate it. It's nice of you to say. You bet. Randy Hulkren is the president and CEO of the Illinois Bankers Association. You can find out more by clicking on my.illinois.bank. Let's uh, click on more business news now. Here's Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Trust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. Kraft Heinz is rolling out the next phase of the company's growth plans with a focus on new products and international expansion. The Chicago-based company laid out plans at a recent packaged food conference, according to Cranes. The company's preparing to introduce personalized sauces, Mexican packaged foods, and plant-based products. Those plant-based products include mayonnaise and cheese. Kraft Heinz is also teasing new packaged foods that get crisp in the microwave. One of the new personalized sauces features singer Ed Sheeran with a hot sauce called Tingly Ted's. The Illinois Lottery saw record sales in the last half of 2022. Big jackpots helped push sales to $1.8 billion during the six months that ended December 31st. Proceeds to the state came in at $468 million. Lottery proceeds are earmarked for K-12 public schools. The lottery had a record year in fiscal 2022. After a drop in 2021, the lottery paid out $1.2 billion with 32 state residents winning $1 million or more. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Trust Business Minute. Okay, business of food time. Steve Alexander. Thank you, and let's begin on a farm where a man is working on his hay baler and his shirt sleeve gets caught in the gears and his arm is sucked into the mechanism. And he had no cell phone on him. He had an eight-month pregnant wife in the house. Hmm. And I'll tell you about the last resort action he took to get free. After I thank the Chevy Silverado HD for sponsoring us, experience your life in HD. Visit ChevyDriveChicago.com. Okay, back to the farm and the man whose arm was caught and was being torn up in the baler. He was stuck in that machine for 45 minutes. And that's when he knew his only chance to survive was to cut himself free. You know, lost his right arm in that accident. Had the wherewithal to, to kind of stay calm, wrap things up, walk to the house and calmly tell his wife that he needs an ambulance. And he had an amazingly good attitude about what happened to him. His uh, outlook was that he was left-handed, so he still had use of his, his strong hand. Yeah, but farming even then was still out of the question for him. And there is no such thing as sick leave on the farm. Things go on no matter what happens. He needed help. And as it has over a thousand times, Farm Rescue showed up. He was actually, our, I think, our 500th case. Farm Rescue is there to, to kind of provide a hand up. It's tangible support, so it's free planting, paying, harvesting, and livestock feeding assistance. And it's a nationwide network of volunteers who come to the rescue when there is a crisis. We have our, our own equipment, and we can come in and, and kind of help in that singular season, uh, allow time for recovery, and, and just uh, allow that family to, to get back at it the next season. The voice you've been hearing is that of Dan Erdman. He's the marketing program manager for Farm Rescue, which operates in these states. North and South Dakota, Minnesota, Montana, Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas. And now, Illinois. If there's a 
family out there in the state of Illinois or, or you know of a family in the state of Illinois that, that's going to be needing a little extra help uh, come spring planting, which is, is right around the corner here, I know. Please reach out to us. It's easy to apply. Just go to farmrescue.org. The three qualifiers would be injury, illness, or natural disaster. Farmrescue.org, now available in Illinois. Everything we do is made possible by the generosity of others. That's the business of food on 720 WGN. On the Wintrust Business Lunch now, let's visit with Claire Riley, a principal video producer at CNET.com. Claire, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. We have a podcast here called The Mincing Rascals, where some journalists sit around and talk about issues of the day. Yesterday, I asked the gang, is ChatGPT or Bing's Sydney promising or terrifying? How would you answer that? Uh, a little of column A and a little of column B. I think this is a really interesting one, and it's interesting because the pace at which it's rolled out, I can't remember a piece of technology that has been so disruptive yeah. and so potentially revolutionary in such a short time frame. I mean, we saw ChatGPT unleashed onto the world uh, late last year, November, so we're only three months away, and we're talking about how this is going to revolutionize the way we teach in schools. I'm a writer. I think about how uh, my writing is different to the writing of an AI. Uh, I wonder about, you know, different ways this could be used across the world. So it's exciting, but also a very strange time. And I think we're all negotiating this new technology very quickly and trying to work out what it means for our lives. That's an interesting point. It took us years to realize the World Wide Web could be wonderful and awful. Even Twitter, as fast as that has happened, didn't just in three months' time go from being wow to, oh no, what have we got here? But (laughs) that's kind of where we are right now, aren't we? Yeah, you're right. I mean, in the space of even just a week, in the case of Bing's AI, yeah. uh, we saw it launched, and then within the space of a week or two, uh, there was a fantastic article from Kevin Rose in the New York Times where he had a two-hour-long conversation with this chatbot, and it went to some really dark and strange places. The the AI jokingly said that uh, he wasn't in love with his wife and he'd had a terrible Valentine's Day dinner. But then on the darker side, it started talking about things that it wanted to do, whether it would be able to unleash a virus on the world or get nuclear codes. It was enough that this journalist said it was deeply unsettling. And that was all in the space of a week. So we've seen chatbots before. We've seen uh, AI or machine learning or, you know, even if it's just scraping data that's on the internet and fed back to us. We've seen these kinds of things before, and they often have those elements of light and dark, you know, exciting potential, but also interesting and a little bit scary. And inaccurate. So have they fixed this? What is Microsoft, what is Google doing? Well, Microsoft pulled the reins in pretty hard after that that New York Times article, and they limited the number of conversations, uh, responses that you could have with this Sydney chatbot to 50 replies a day and five replies per topic. So the idea was that it wouldn't go off onto these long rants where it started to feed off its own information and feed off the conversation. Uh, that was designed to stop the confusing of the underlying model, uh, confusing of the machine, but then within the space of a couple of days after that, they'd launched an app for iOS and Android and they'd integrated Bing into Skype. 
for chat or suggestions. So it's it's all moving very quickly. And I think um, Sadia Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft himself, said that it had been developed at a frantic pace. So I think this is not the last we've heard of this. And I think we're all going to be negotiating this and working it out in our own lives for a while to come. More about that later then. I have less than a minute left. Talk to me about the fee that, are they going to charge to have my account verified on Facebook? Yes, this is something that Twitter tried to bring in for $8 a month, and now Facebook is jumping on board, Facebook and Instagram, for $12 a month online or $15 on iOS. Starting out in Australia and New Zealand, uh, you'd use the government ID to get a blue badge of verification, quick access to customer support, uh, the stopping of accounts impersonating you. I could see it being popular for businesses, but as a personal user, I don't know that I want to spend a sort of a Netflix equivalent just to be able to access the blue tick on my Facebook account. I understand that, although if for a fee per month, if it was reasonable, I had a human being I could talk to at Facebook to say, hey, how do I do this? That's never been available. Are you saying that would be something I could purchase? That's the game changer here. Yes, you would get direct access to customer support. And for anyone who's had issues with their Facebook or Instagram Uh, account, which I have, that access is really good. Very interesting. Hey, it's nice to meet you. Thanks for your time today. I'm sure we'll visit down the road another day. Claire Riley, the principal video producer at CNET. Thanks, Claire. Thank you so much.